Salutations. My name is Justin Law. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to... Ep- Jesus Christ. You're listening to episode 131 of Horror Business. I don't know that. I don't know why I sounded like Colonel Sanders. That was me trying to do like a groovy hippie voice. Like, hey guys, it's... Uh, <laughs> take this acid. Go here, oh, and kill your friends. Yeah. Oh, it'll be a fucking stone groove. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> The episodes we're doing tonight, we're going to be doing uh, 1978's Blue Sunshine and 2012's Toad Road. Uh, I I would I would call them cautionary tales. I think that's fair. What's funny is <clears throat> they're both cautionary tales, but one of them feels a little bit more like uh, informed by actual drug use and reality. And the other one is like a trippy version of uh, that weed. What's that weed movie that, that everybody talks Dude, about? Dude, you're Reefer fucking Madness. reading my mind. You're yeah, reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally, someone said, how is Blue Sunshine? And I said, I liked it, but there was a touch of moral panic and Reefer Madness bullshit that made me just a, a touch uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we'll get into it when we talk about it, but I, you know, all I'll say in advance is it's, it's. I didn't mind it, and I do like the theme of the movie, which is these people going crazy. Like, the way the movie functions is kind of fun. Yeah. But especially at a time when we're starting to realize that, like, acid might actually be really useful for mental health stuff. And it turns out we knew that back in the day, but there was so much panic about acid that we just made it all illegal instead of using it for mental health stuff that, like watching it now it's kind of like oh right it was shit like this that made it impossible to do stuff with acid okay all right yeah that's because fucking movies like this were making people afraid to have a good time (laughs) we say as says the two says i was gonna say says the two guys who are fucking strictly abstaining from all you know all forms of artificial fun. I mean, I was going to say, I've never been high in my life, so maybe it does suck. I don't know. I was high accidentally once. but Oh, I don't yeah? Know what, it, what happened? Okay, I never we talk, don't have to talk about it. We don't have to talk about it. No, ba- uh, basically, no. Um, so we recently, this is this is a funny short story. Recently, um, I my grandfather has started taking CBD gummies to help, you know, with the fucking nine decades long of undiagnosed anxiety he has. Yeah, sure. And my mom got them. They're like... I told her, like, get the kinds that I get. I get I get a kind called Medterra. They're very, like, isolate spectrum, which means they're just CBD. It's, like, 10 milligrams a dose. It doesn't do anything except kind of, like, level you out. Sure. She got him 25 milligrams of, C- of, uh, of broad spectrum CBD, which also had, like, 2.5 milligrams of fucking THC in it. I took two of those by accident and then had to go to therapy in the grocery store and I, 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 I thought I was going to have a fucking heart attack at the grocery store trying to decide which hot dogs to get my grandfather. I couldn't decide between Ballpark and Hebrew National. And then when someone came over to help me, I freaked out and ran. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just just to say, like, we are doing two very um, 
narcotic focused movies. Uh, I think one is uh, ham fisted. The other one, we'll talk about whether it's even a good movie or not, but I do think it's informed not by a fear of drugs, but really of a fear of the way that drugs can take an already unhealthy community and make it worse. Right. Yes. Because I get the feeling that the people who made Toad Road actually don't think drugs are the problem. Right. Even though in the movie, drugs kind of function as the problem. I don't know that they feel I I bet you that that's not really what it's about. You know what I mean? I'm going to say this in in a longer uh, I'm going to kind of expand upon this. But I think in Toad Road, drugs are more symptomatic of a of a deeper problem in, in the in the group of friends in that film. I agree. I agree. So before we get to all that, I guess we should say thanks or something. I don't know. Yeah, we should thank the people who have who are patrons on Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash cinepunks. You can go there and you can you can subscribe and there's like all this cool shit you can get. It's neat. You give us money, we give you stuff. I this is like the fifth week in a row I said this. I will add my own thing there where I talk about I'm gonna do a short series of like three to five minutes of where I talk about different songs that have affected me over not necessarily like my top favorite songs of all time, but just like songs that have at some point in my life made an impact on me. You know, there's lunch with Liam. There's a bunch of other things on there. You know, you get, um, there's like certain tears, you get like a t-shirt, you get like a fucking shout out. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, but basically it's like, if you want to, if you would, if you want to help us out, because like I've said, we don't aim to make money with this podcast, but it helps because running a, a podcast network does come with some costs and it does help offset those costs. So if you are interested in becoming becoming a subscriber, you can head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks for more information on how to help this podcast out and, you know, a bunch of other good podcasts on this network. We also want to thank our friends over at uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, mostly just everyone who works there except for Chris Reject. Is, yes. Uh, uh, you know, it's a screen printer. They screen print stuff. If you have stuff you want to get screen printed and you're like, what, 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 what do I want to get screen printed? Shirts, hoodies, sweatpants, uh, gym shorts. Uh, you probably don't want to get hats screen printed, but they can get them embroidered for you. They can, in fact, get whatever you need embroidered for you. I, I just think LVAC does great work. And because Chris has some weird brain worm that refuses to let him actually make money, he's going to make it affordable for you. Yeah, That's, it's called obsessive compulsive disorder. It's yeah, fine. It's, yeah. it's totally cool. He's Exploit a, that. Exploit that in him for your yeah. own well-being Yeah, at the expense of his. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, of course, we want to thank Aaron uh, Dahlbeck over at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, you know, it, here's the reality. It's great coffee. Um, he also has quality tea. Uh, I haven't had it, but I assume it's great cause he's great. Uh, and there's merch there as well. If you want a you know, a fun shirt or something. Uh, but really, you know, I, here's the thing, Justin, I'm going for the coffee. That's what yeah. I'm there for. You know, it's, 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 it's just, he's roasting the, to order. He's shipping it to you. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be great. If you have any questions, he's super responsive and he's ready to help you have the kind of cup of coffee you want at home. Uh, as you're checking out, they're going to enter a code. What's it going to be? C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. That that's, spells Cinepunks. That's the name of the network. Oh, my gosh. It's weird. It's crazy. Um, and then, of course, this episode is, um, 
you know, EQ'd and edited by our man Sharky over at Mechanical Shark Media. You know, Sharky does, he does video, he does audio. Uh, he would love for you to come to him with whatever your idea is, whatever it is that you want to work on. And if you're, you know, if he's excited about it, if you're excited about it, he wants to try to make it come to life. So MechanicalSharkMedia.com, check it out. Uh, if you find their social media, he's done a lot of stuff lately that I think you might find interesting. It's very um, cool. Yeah. He so shot a video for, I forget which band, but it was very interesting. It was, it was interesting to watch. Yeah. What, what band was it? Freight Train. Yes. All right. I guess that's it, right? Oh, oh, I should be plugging my thing more. Uh, roughcutfanclub.com. I always forget to mention, I do, we do t-shirts. We just did a double of uh, Possession and Demons. Uh, Very good. We briefly did a, a Garfield Demon shirt, uh, which, you know, if, if anyone who owns the rights to Garfield asked, no, we didn't. Uh, but uh, people liked it. They thought it was funny. That's great. We got uh, something coming up soon that's not horror-related. But uh, if you're into it, uh, I hope you will get it. But if you have any questions about Rough Cut, uh, you can hit us up uh, uh, roughcutfanclub.com. That's, That's all I got to say. That's now comes the time in the podcast when I I'm at a party and you know in in somewhere we'll just say Los Angeles, and I'm approached by an attractive woman, and she's like, "Here, try this," and she hands me like a paper tab. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. And I go to push her away and her hair falls off and she attacks me with a knife. And as she fucking plunges the knife into my heart again and again, and I still refuse to take her nasty drugs. I look over and I see Liam in the corner fighting with a bald man, you know, also resisting drugs. And my, with my last gasping, scarlet, bubbling breath, I ask, Liam, what have you done involving Har recently? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, this is going to eventually become like our, uh, the last of us check-in, right? Cause we're both, wa- <laughs> we're both watching it and I, well, I don't know if you're, if you've gone back to it or not. Are you, have you gone back or is it still too much? No, I've gone back. I mean, I, I definitely, I've gone back. This last episode affected me in like a very, um, a very bittersweet way. It didn't make me want to fucking take my own life like some of those episodes have um this was mostly just like i miss my friends you know it made me think about like times in my life where like i've let moments slide through my fingers like 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 sand um and honestly just made me miss being a kid and experiencing like the first you know i don't know it was just it was very good yeah. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um it's crazy. <clears throat> I continue to be amazed at the quality of the show. Uh I know that that's not a universal thing that some people aren't stoked on it, but uh I don't know. I've I've enjoyed, well, I found every episode engaging. Some of them as you said have been painful enough that it's hard to say I enjoyed them, but uh still I'd say overall I I think the show's really great. So, I'm stoked the preview for the next episode looks insane, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, apparently, the guy who plays Joel on the video game is in the next episode, so that'll be cool. Yeah, he, the guy who, I forget who did the voice, because they had the voice actor who played, I think it was the voice actor who played Tommy, was on the show already. He's the yes. guy who gets fucked up by the, by like the mega clicker, the fucking... Loader, yeah. I think yeah. they call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So yeah. no, I love that show. It's I I I'm I'm like you like I'm with you. It's like every week I'm just like, holy shit, this show makes me feel so many things. I agree. I agree. Uh, let's see what else have I done horror related. Well, <clears throat> I checked out a uh, a, a Mike Mignola comic called I think it's called The Evil Things We Have Seen or something like that. It's okay. a series of short story, short graphic stories. Uh, but not drawn by him. He he wrote them, but he didn't draw them. Uh, it was okay. It's very light. They're very quick little. Uh, they're the sort of quick little comics that almost seem to have a punchline at the end. You know what I mean? Okay. But it's basically there's a. Uh, these two guys are uh, vampire hunters, uh, who ha- and they have a friend who's uh, much better at it than they are, and. Um, they have sort of wacky monster filled adventures. You know, it's, it's a lot of the things there's a visual gag or they, they do something stupid, but it works out for them or things like that. Right. So to give people an idea, there's a story where they find these like bat creatures that aren't vampires. They're just smaller bat creatures. They start to catch them, but then a bunch of them show up and they don't know what they are. And the bat creatures reveal that, Years before, two very powerful vampires who hated each other met in uh, on these waterfall the waterfall near the woods uh, to fight, and they fought and they fought and they fought until they tore each other apart. And those pieces went off in the river, and each of these bat creatures is a piece of these vampires, right? Which is, and now they're reforming into this uh, thing. But instead of reforming into two separate vampires, they're forming into one vampire. So then the joke, of course, is that the of these three heroes only one of them is actually good at what they do the the woman and the guys are trying to figure out what to do and she goes just wait so they're like reforming and they're sort of making a villain speech and only when they go to say like the next thing they they suddenly realize that instead of two separate vampires they are now an amalgamation of the two vampires who hated each other and they just tear themselves apart again (laughs) and then that's the end of the story and it's like it's stories like that just there's always a kind of a punchline in that sense you know what i mean um not that they're not coherent stories but they're very short things it was fun um i kind of and i know this doesn't happen much anymore i kind of prefer things that he writes and draws yes and he just doesn't draw as much anymore uh long stories he does covers all the time and individual pieces of art but he isn't really doing comics as often as he used to and i just wish he was doing more because i love his art it's like yeah it's like him and uh who was the guy who did the stuff on like the it was like right after he stopped drawing yes for bprd is is it guy davis Mm -hmm. i fucking love his art too i think that's right i think it's good yeah yeah i mean uh, go ahead no i I was i was just gonna you know in other hellboy news did you hear that there's gonna be another hellboy movie i did i did um the only you know positive thing about that is that I guess uh, he's writing it more directly and it's based off a specific story. Like he's adapting the script from one of his very Do you know which stories. story? Yeah, I forget what it's called, but yes, I know man. the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it's going to be like a period piece, which is awesome. <laughs> so all of that I think is cool. Uh, I just also don't know if it's worth going back there or not. And I don't know who they're going to get to play Hellboy because it's not going to be. Uh, David Harbor, right? 
uh, and it's certainly not going to be Ron Perlman. So, I hope it's Timothy Chalamet. Um, someone was saying the guy, the guy from the cop show with the nice butt, who was also in Wet Hot American Summer. What? The guy from the cop show, who was a meme on the internet for a while for having a nice butt, he's got a big old booty. Uh, he's real, real ripped guy, but he was also one of the people in Wet Hot American Summer. One of the people in Wet Hot American Summer who wasn't on the state, obviously. Malloy, Christopher Malloy, maybe. Forget his fucking name. People. Will oh, know. holy shit! The guy who was in Law and Order with um. Yeah, I think that's right. I know it's oh, a cop show. Be, I don't know which one. That would be cool. He's sa- right. He's sassy. He can do. He's certainly strong. I mean, you know, not to put something on him, but he's a he's a bigger dude, and. He can be sassy and grim at the same time, which kind of fits the character, you know? It's yeah. hard with Hellboy because he alternates between, hey, I'm a snappy guy with lots of comebacks to, now I'm whining and I want pancakes. And it's like, how do you get both those things, right? I think yeah. the two Hellboys we've gotten have each leaned maybe a little too far in one direction or the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's hard. And I get why. It's not an easy character, that, but that's why we like the character is because we believe it, right? When When he's sad that the girl doesn't like him that's believable that feels real but when he's joking in the face of armageddon probably as a way to protect himself because he's actually scared that's believable too like you know what i mean like that's who he is so i think that's hard to pull off anyways the last thing i wanted to mention is i watched a movie that you famously not only wrote a review for but were quoted about uh, the Outwaters. Is that what it's what called? Did, the Outwaters. The Outwaters. Yeah. What did yeah. you What did you think? <sighs> Watching it made me have a little bit more compassion for all the people who felt alienated by Skinnamarink. Okay. Because <laughs> my initial experience when it when the shit started to pop off and a lot of it is like just darkness with occasional punctuations of fake blood my initial feeling was fuck this like i just was bummed on it and then after a while i thought yeah come on you're doing the thing i'm doing the thing that i accuse other people of which is like i'm not giving it a chance because it's annoying me and so therefore it sucks because it's annoying me which is like not fair especially for a horror movie like it doesn't as as a found footage one and i gotta say they definitely I don't know if it entirely does, but sections of it feel very believable as found footage, right? Like it's, it's like this, you know, they wouldn't get a good shot in the dark when they're frightened, you know, it would just yeah. be like, right. Away. But that's not, there are parts of this movie that I found frustrating to watch. Like it just really annoyed the shit out of me. There were a couple real fucking creepy parts though. So like it, it, it's, it's overall, I ended up thinking it was good. But there was a moment midway through when I was like, no, nah, this isn't for me. Fuck this. Because I just was getting just really annoyed with the method, even though if it had been the other way, a found footage movie where the person doing the, the filming, it just happens to be a perfect cinematographer who's not afraid of anything. That's also annoying, but it's watchable, yes. right? It's like, yeah, this is the issue. I have to engage my brain to realize it's annoying because what I'm watching is like, oh, this is fun. I'll watch this, right? But then some party has to go, bro, it wouldn't be like this. It's found footage, you know? Watching this was a reminder of like, oh, this is why I'm kind of skeptical of found footage as a genre, right? Because 
footage that people take when they're panicked is annoying. Like, especially now in the age of TikTok, where I've seen people who just turned on their phones while a disaster was happening. It's never cool. It's never like, oh, I got to see this crazy thing. It's always someone freaking out and not getting it right on their phone, let alone with oh, an yeah. actual camera. There's a there's a, a very good documentary film on Netflix about a volcano that erupted um, off the coast of New Zealand. There's like an island out there. And there was like 30 people literally within like 100 feet of this thing when it went off. And the the footage that they were showing was that there was the people on the island and then there was a boat that was circling the island doing like a sightseeing tour and all the footage was from footage that people had shot on their phones that they either turned over or unfortunately in in, in most of the cases was recovered because um weirdly a lot of people didn't survive being that close to a yeah volcanic yeah. eruption it's strange yeah, yeah, yeah. but like most of the footage from the people who were like on the island, like running for their lives. There's one shot where a guy is like, he has his camera, he has his phone and he's like looking down at a stream because like the tour guide is literally saying like, oh, this is weird. This, the stream usually tastes like this way. And now it tastes like this. And you hear this fucking bang. And he turns the camera and you see the smoke like rising up. And then the rest of his footage is unwatchable. Because he's running for his fucking life. Right, 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 right. And right, right, right. it's like, as annoying as that is, I kind of appreciate it because, like, that's exactly how that would be. Like, well, that's why there's that movie that's all the dash cam footage. The only footage that's going to be reliable, that's going to show you some crazy shit, is a dash cam because it's not being held by a person. So someone no. could literally be losing their shit in their car, but that's a steady shot of whatever it is in front of their car. Yep. Remember uh, when that meteor hit Russia? There was all that dash cam oh footage. Oh my god! I, I was meteor. just thinking that. Yeah. Anyways, the other thing I watched, which I wasn't thinking of as horror, but now that we're talking, I I should mention it because I guess it is a horror movie. Is uh, Knock at the Cabin. Okay, what did you think of that? It's fine. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of of Shyamalan like in general. Like I'm kind of a skeptic when it comes to his movies, but. A few of them I have tried to give a chance since the first few. You, you know what I mean? Like there were the first yeah. ones that were, there was all the hype. And then people started to get bored of him. And now he's kind of back and making more money with his stuff, right? Uh, I liked it better than some of his other things. I didn't love it, though. And I really... I was skeptical of the ending. Like I knew that he had changed the ending. Yeah, but I thought, well, the way that he changed the ending could like stick. It could still work for me, even though I don't love that he changed it. Right. And I felt like there was a real like. Not just nailing the point, but almost like a victory lap moment, like the way the movie ends, like not in the climax, but in the denouement, like the very last moments, it almost feels like he's patting himself on the back that he's made his point. And it was such a Shyamalan moment in his worst possible way. Yes, it, it made me mad. I was like actually mad about it. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry guys. And I think I would have been would have been more mad if I liked the movie more. But I just was kind of like, eh. that being said, uh, David Batista, can we give him more roles? Like he Dude, is he's so, so good, fucking good. I I I'm now convinced that he is of he is the most successful crossover from pro wrestling to acting ever talent wise because it's not like 
Like John Cena's good, but we haven't really seen enough of him to be like, oh, he's like, you know, he hasn't done enough like quality roles. Like, I mean, was he great in The Peacemaker? He was fucking fantastic in that. But it's like, that was one thing he, like Peacemaker and The Suicide Squad. He's great, but he's not like, he seems to be doing better as a comedic actor. Yeah. Which he's got, I mean, which isn't nothing like that's hard. That's really hard to yeah. do. I mean, I also think he has, you know, there was a few moments in, 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 in Peacemaker where he got the flexes, dramatic chops. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, he's, uh, you know, uh, he's not nearly adept at that. I thought he was quite good at that, but like, you know, it's, it's crazy how like Dwayne Johnson has been doing film now for what, like 15 years. And it's like, it's the same fucking character over and over and over again and meanwhile like batista has done like you know i don't know like <laughs> it's just like he worked with he did like fucking blade runner he did fucking dune he did this he did the guardians of the galaxy he did army of the dead which was i argue is he is the sole bright spot in that film um uh, i think the uh the totally uh, random insertion digitally of Tignataro is also pretty funny. Army of the Dead, but if re- also I like the alien angle. You know, yeah, I'm yeah, a th- I, I'm fair. I'm an I'm a I'm a truther for that movie. It's aliens. Um, no, I mean I. There is a there is a there is a discussion to be had between you and I about the theological implications of Knock at the Cabin that I don't feel would be appropriate for this podcast because it would put everybody to fucking sleep. Well, all I'll say, all I'll say because I don't, I don't actually want to spoil the ending, but I will say yeah. that, you know, he changed this stuff from the book. If I'm being generous as a reader of the movie, you could make an argument that this is about people being willing to make the hard decisions to save a planet that is dying. You know, that like the reality of climate change is that like, the planet is fucked, and I'm not convinced that like uh, there aren't going to be horrible consequences before, you know, in May's lifetime. There will probably be stuff that like is just horrifying because we refuse to make the tough decisions to protect the planet. You can make an argument that that's what the movie is about. However, I have two problems there. One problem, three problems actually. One problem is any that puts too much focus on individuals you know which is not really yeah. what we need to fix the environment two uh we both know that Shyamalan is uh maybe not secret but not well known that he's a, a Jesusman uh he doesn't get as much attention as a Jesusman because he's catholic and um that's less scandalous right now than evangelicals uh who mostly seem to be acolytes of Q and Trump now, you know? So like yes. when someone's an evangelical, it's like, you know, they've got a target on them because a lot of evangelicals have sort of revealed themselves to be inhuman monsters. When you're more of a traditional Catholic, the way that Shyamalan is, it's a little less things. And plus he seems to be socially pretty open-minded, right? He doesn't seem to be a uptight Catholic. So I think it kind of goes away, but a lot of his movies have something going on about, hope or believing in something, whatever. So I think there's some theological aspects here that are kind of a bummer. And then the last part that really fucking bums me out is like, I just think not just religious people, but all people need to stop being so focused on the idea of sacrifice and how noble sacrifice is because like the logic of sacrifice, like all we need is the right blood and the right amount of blood. And then we'll all be saved as attractive as that is. That's not necessarily a what the gospel is about for religious people and B, 
uh, for pe- even for people who aren't religious, that's kind of the logic of genocide, right? Yeah. Like genocide is literally if we kill the right people, then we'll, the rest of us will be okay. And that's bad. That's a bad idea. So I, I you know, I said this on lunch with Liam, so I don't want to belabor the point, but I think like, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do a, a Patreon sometime of me and you just getting fucking deep about the ways that the movie has like some troubling theological implications, which he may not mean, right? That might be us reading into the movie. Maybe he really does have something else on his mind, but a lot of his movies seem to relate to things that could be seen through a certain kind of Catholic lens. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know that, I don't know that it's at least, I think that focusing so much on like, they just need to sacrifice when the, when the book ends in an entirely different way that I think is much more to me powerful personally. But again, I don't know. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, you've read the book. No, that's the thing. I looked it up. People were talking about how it was different. So then I just looked up the different endings and I was like, yeah, oh, I mean, shit. that's, okay. that's like the, uh, without giving too much away, I found the ending of the book similar to the ending of, um, cabin in the woods where Sigourney Weaver is like begging what's his face to kill this girl. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to live in a world that's dependent upon us doing this like horrible shit. Like, why do we, why can't they just let us be like, why do we have to do this shit? Like, why does there have to be this horrifying sacrifice? Like if these things can just let us be, then just fucking let us be. And yeah, that's kind of like the, um, I mean, that, that, oh God, it goes like far into like Epicurean philosophy, which again, I don't, we should stop talking about it right now because I feel the urge to talk about that and I don't want to. (sighs) I feel you. Okay. Let's not think about that. Let's focus on uh, what you were going to talk about because that's all the things I have to talk about. I haven't done anything involving harm recently. Oh, there you go. I actually, not true. I. I finished The Secret History of the World, the main line of it, and I decided to, um, apparently back in like 2007 or 8, F. Paul Wilson's grandson was like, oh, I want to read about Repairman Jack. And F. Paul Wilson was like, I don't think that's appropriate because this is like, you know, spoiler, like, Everyone in Repairman Jack's family gets fucking horrifyingly murdered, and it sucks. So he wrote, like, a series of books about a teenage Repairman Jack when he was a young kid growing up in the 80s, and it was all about blah, blah, blah. And I literally up until, like, a week ago had zero interest in these books because they are admittedly written for young adults, and I don't... That's just not my thing. Like, but apparently, like... um there's a lot of references to events that happened in those books and a lot of his later secret history, this stuff. So I was like, fuck it. I just found them on eBay for like, I got all three of them for five bucks. So I'm reading those right now. And anyone follows me on Instagram saw that there was a part early on where someone put on a Bauhaus record and repairman Jack as a teenager was a fan of Bauhaus. And I was like, fuck, they got me. So I got to read these fucking children's books now. But that's all I've been doing. Okay. <laughs> all right. I guess we're going to get into the. Yeah. The trippiness so of it all. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. I am going to be high as an Irishman. 
And we're going to talk about 1978's... Oh, they just called it an American horror film on Wikipedia. This is so much more than an American horror film. 1978's American horror film, Blue Sunshine. We'll be right back. 1967. Doctors and scientists predicted it. Blue Sunshine. the words blue sunshine back in school. Jerry didn't do this. Like this. Sick. One man must solve the mystery. The victims. Wendy Fleming. Divorcee. Wendy. Blue sunshine. John O'Malley. Lieutenant, Los Angeles Police Department. Blue Sunshine. Franny Scott. I found Photographer. Hey, wait a minute. Blue Sunshine. <laughs> Wayne Mulligan. Campaign Manager. Blue Sunshine. <laughs> Dr. David Bloom. Kelly. Resident surgeon. Give me a sponge. I said a long instrument. 1977. The nightmare has begun. Blue sunshine. back to talk about Blue Sunshine. Now, fun fact about this movie is I knew what this movie was about before seeing it. Of course I did. Um, but <laughs> little fun, fun, quick story is a few months back, I was at a certain vegan restaurant in Philadelphia that ponders to vegans and horror fans, monster vegan. And in the foyer where you wait, they have like, they have trailers playing for like famous horror movies. Like, oh, here's a trailer, you know, the trailer for Zombie, the Fulci film. Here's a trailer for fucking Dawn of the Dead. They showed a trailer for Blue Sunshine. And my date was like, oh, what's that about? And I was like, we can wait till after dinner. Like, let's wait until, let's see how the date goes. And if it goes bad and I'm not going to get to second or third base, I'll tell you what this is about. But if I feel like maybe I might round the bases and see what happens there. We don't need to talk about this movie ever. Blue Sunshine is made by people who have never done drugs and are terrified of them. That's possible. I have an alternative theory, but keep going. Um, no, this movie, uh, and let me just say up top, I really like this movie. I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. But this movie had more than a touch of like moral panic 
Um, like, did you, did you, you're a few years older than me. Do you remember in elementary school? Did you, were, did you do dare? Yes. Okay. I had a, I had a, a police officer in fifth grade tell us that when you do heroin, you get addicted to heroin when the first time you do it, which is not true. And years later, there's a lot of people who think that that attitude of like, if I'm going to get addicted to it, I'm going to get addicted to it right away. And if I'm not addicted to it right away, I'm not going to get addicted to it, which leads them to keep doing to it, which leads them to keep doing it. And Liam, what happens when you keep doing heroin? Not good stuff, that's for you sure. You get addicted to it. Yeah. This movie had more than a touch of that to me. This idea that like drugs will make you go fucking crazy. That, you know, LSD will make you kill people. Um, like like you had said um early, you know, a little bit earlier about like this has more than a touch of reefer madness to it. Um, and I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I'm all for making horror movies about drugs. Of course I am. I just didn't like these movies that were like, I didn't like this attitude this movie took that was almost like a, um, it felt like, not a documentary, but almost like a, I guess the word is like infomercial. After school special. After school special about the dangers of LSD. No, I hear you, except, right? This is, when did this come out again? 1978? 1978, yeah. Okay. I, it's possible, it seems likely to me, that by 1978, right, the genre that is Reefer Madness, right, is actually part of the conversation. And that drugs are widespread enough that while someone involved in this movie, most likely the people writing the checks, are thinking of it like a movie that's actually playing off a real thing. Yeah, sometimes people, the acid stays in their system, and then they go crazy. Like, I'm, I'm not saying no one involved felt that way. My guess is, right, that a lot of the people involved in this movie were viewing this in a way, they might not have used the word camp, but they might have seen this as a, uh, as a silly thing, assuming that most people watching it who've done acid before we're going to think it was funny that they were doing this. And part of my feeling on that is the um, involvement of an individual who I didn't know anything about until I asked people. So you, so a little behind the curtains, y'all Justin suggested we do this movie. And I thought, Oh, okay, cool. I've never seen it. What should I look for? And I wasn't sure what to pair it with. And so I asked people what they thought, you know, Oh, Hey, you know what, what should I do? Um, for uh horror business with blue sunshine and a few people got really excited when i said this and just started going off about zalman king and just like oh you got to do a double feature of some of his movies oh he's the best oh zalman king blah blah blah. all these people freaking out justin i don't know shit about this guy do you know anything about this guy i'm looking him up when he was the main guy in in in, in this film right i'm yes. looking him up on yes. Okay, I'm looking up on Wikipedia. Let's see what he was in. Um, I think the excitement was not just about the things he was in, though there are a lot of interesting things. We'll talk about in a second here. But also about the things he directed. 
So my man directed, I mean, I think it's also about the stuff he was in, but he also directed Two Moon Junction, Wildfire, Wild Orchid, a bunch of episodes of The Red Shoe Diaries, In God's Hands. Horny stuff. Yeah, he did erotic thrillers, Justin. He did erotic thrillers. And then as an actor, I think he had a period where he was doing, um, let's see here, uh, Some Call It Loving, uh, and, and you know, and other stuff. He, it's just, he's a, he's a figure that people knew, I think partly because of being in, you know, things like Endangered Species and Galaxy of Terror, uh, but also I think for some of his direction stuff as well. And just as like a cultural figure, you know, he's someone that people knew, right? He just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would be like, yeah, let's a, let's make a movie that scares people away from LSD. I think that this movie's actually meant to, in some ways, not do that. In other okay. words, that that there that uh that you can in a way talk out of both sides of your mouth. Right, because someone might watch this and be like, "Oh shit!" Right, like, uh, uh, that yeah, like this is this is scary. Like this could happen. Blah blah blah. But um, a lot of people are gonna watch it and be like, "What? That's ridiculous!" You know, and get sort of the silliness of what's going. I think. I mean, I could see it kind of being like a bit of a. Okay, so here is the text. I'm going to read the, the text quick on the poster that is on Wikipedia. Warning, in giant letters. Warning, if you are one of the millions who took hallucinogens in the late 1960s, you may be a human time bomb about to explode into a bloody nightmare of uncontrollable killing. Think back. Have you heard the words blue sunshine? Try to remember your life may depend upon it. Now, to me... That could scream, again, moral panic. But it could also be a self-aware version of the parental advisory sticker that they put on records back in the early 90s. To kind of be like, you know you want to see this because, like, you know, acid is, like, bad. And, like, check. Yeah, like, I, like, I could see myself seeing that and being like, oh, I got to fucking watch that. That's pretty cool. I, like, I, don't, I don't know what 70s Justin does. I don't know what, what, what he did. Um... But I, I don't know. I, I could see myself being like intrigued enough by that to be like, I got to fucking check that out. So do you think this was made to kind of like get people to watch it or it was actually critiquing um, drug like the use, use of hallucinogens? I mean, let's compare it to Jeff Lieberman made another movie that uh, I don't love for a couple of reasons but uh, is basically almost a remake of the same movie, uh, Remote Control, right? Okay. Because it is, yet again, a movie in which people are being controlled. But instead of by LSD, it's by videos, right? I think when you look at the vibe of Remote Control and then go back to this movie, the, the atmosphere is more serious, but I think Lieberman, I don't think he has a point about LSD one way or the other. It's just a fun thing to do to fuck with people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it gets at people. If you watch Reefer Madness, right? No one, Reefer Madness wasn't made for people who were already smoking pot. It was made for everyone who wasn't smoking pot, right? With this movie, you might think it's funny. You might see it as campy or silly. But even if you don't see it as funny, 
the people who are going to feel anxiety, I think, might be the people who have, in fact, done a bunch of acid and are like, like, they don't think they're going to turn into hairless killers, but they are like, I don't know, man, you know, whatever, whatever. Like, I think it kind of plays off anxieties that people may or may not have. But I do think it's a little it might be a little bit silly. I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure there are people out there who know more than us about like uh, why this movie was made. And if the people who made it were like actually worried about LSD. But my first thought was, oh, this is just like a violent reefer madness. Right. But by the end of the movie, I kind of thought, come on, no one's taking this seriously. Yeah. Like this is no one who made this was like. Now people are going to know they shouldn't drop acid. I think it's more along the lines of this is an anxiety that people have, whether it's real or not. Obviously, we think it's unreal, but um, but more like not this is an anxiety in a realistic way. But there was, I think, by 1978, a lot of fear around acid as an idea. I think by then people were talking about MK Ultra a little bit, you know, which if people don't know, like the government forced a lot of people to take acid in the 50s and 60s right like a lot of acid a lot they forced a lot of acid on people and then they would like do experiments on them and it's like what are you gonna learn pumping this person full of acid like i don't understand what you think is gonna happen that's gonna be worthwhile yeah just 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 to give you like a an idea this is not a conspiracy theory this is like a documented fact and there is a not unreasonable amount of evidence that points to Ted Kaczynski being the result of MKO. He, he participated in that. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of justified paranoia around the use of hallucinogens in this period in American history. Yeah. 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 And so I think that's there. I don't think as much as I do like this idea of it's a more violent reefer madness. I don't know that anyone who made reefer madness was in on the joke. I wonder if at least someone involved in this was in on the joke, you know, or at least that it didn't matter, right? That we, they were just playing off of fears or whatever like this. I will say, can we get to the the movie itself? Which, by the way, you, so you had not seen this before, right? I knew what it was. I'd never seen it. What did you think? I know you thought maybe it was a little judgy. Uh, overall, you think I really liked it. Um, I, I, I kind of like... Um the one thing I really liked about it is that it's like marketed as this like gonzo, like quasi slasher film, but I actually felt like it had a lot more in, in common with something like a, um, uh, what's his name? Like a, um, like a classic spy thriller almost right. like there was this mystery be to solve, like the fugitive, you know, there's a guy on the run who's been wrongfully accused and he has to get to the bottom of this. And he's uncovering this like vast conspiracy, not vast conspiracy, a conspiracy by like a fucking politician. And um, I don't know. I, I just I thought that was a neat element to this film, how there was that like race against time to figure out who the bad guy really was. And like. Um, it was. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I, I just, you know, like I said, moral panic aside, I just. I, I really dug this movie. Yeah, I, 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 it definitely has a, um, almost like a, like an anxiety, 70s anxiety. Like, think of like, uh, parts of it are so paranoid that it made me think of like Parallax View or something like that. Yes. You know, Three Days of the Condor, that kind of thing. Um, even though it's not quite a conspiracy movie, just that feeling of like, 
there's all these people who could just go crazy at any moment and you don't know who whatever. But I got to tell you back to this thing where people brought up Zalman King. Um, I don't think it's just because he's a director of erotic films that people are familiar with, but uh, uh, part of it, I think, also is his performance in this movie, which is unhinged, right? Uh, yes. It really, you know, in, in the on IMDb, it says that on the commentary for the Blu-ray, uh, the director says he he told him to act that way to sort of heighten the anxiety the audience might feel that at any moment he might be revealed to be one of the killers which by the way doesn't work for the plot because he didn't go to that character didn't go to stanford so actually there's yeah. no way he could be one of the killers still i'm so glad he gave him that direction because you know sometimes when you're watching a movie there's a character who feels not just like they're doing an extreme or a unique performance but they feel like they've wandered into the movie from a different movie. Yes. That's what he's doing. He, yep. In every scene, you're like, what the fuck is good? It really got to the point where before they revealed that it was just people went to Stanford, I thought maybe this was just happening to anyone who took acid in the world. And then I was like, so the big reveal, right? is going to be that Zalman King's character has mental health issues. So it's like, Normal people who took acid are going to become hairless killers, but anyone who's like already got a mental health problem is fine, you know, because the acid didn't yeah. affect them. Because he's acting utterly out of place. But guess what? I loved it. I loved every moment of it. Every time he delivers a lot in a way that no human would ever talk. When he walks around like he's in a nightmare for no reason, when he's just losing his mind. The part where he basically is empathizing with the murder in the house and he just starts screaming. And then he imagines himself killing the murderer, like sh- strangling him. Magical scene. Unbelievable. <laughs> I just, again, I think I would be sold in this movie regardless. Like, I think it's like, you know, it's, 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 a bit of nightmare fuel in some ways. It's also got a bit of silliness. I like that mixture. Moments are actually upsetting and other moments are ridiculous, like just silly, you know, like I think the whole kind of climactic disco scene is ridiculous in its own ways, you know, like there's all this stuff that kind of is, is going over the top. So that mixture of going over the top and, and actual kind of disturbing moments is like, that's kind of magical for me. But really, it's partly sold by this performance from him that is just unjustifiable. Like, no one, I'm glad we know that the director kind of pushed him to go that way, even if he regrets it now. Because otherwise, I would just think like, oh, so this man is an alien who just found himself on Earth and then just magically started acting and directing in movies, right? Because it's psychotic. It's really a psychotic performance. And I loved that aspect of the movie. Not that everyone else is bad. And I would particularly lift up, I forgot his name, but the very large, the large man who plays. The guy, the final boss. Yeah, Yeah, he literally is the final boss. That's a good point. Um. Ray Young was his name. Yes, thank you, thank you. He is a massive human being, uh, playing Wayne Mulligan, his native character. He's just a big guy, and uh, and um, I like him, but that's a traditional intense performance. Whatever Zalman King's doing is just something else entirely, and it just, it really worked for me. So, yeah, I like this movie a lot. I get why, again, this is a 1978 paranoid film uh that i think does get billed as a slasher which doesn't work right because it's a slow burn for part of the movie even though pretty early on someone goes crazy and throws a woman into a fire 
in between these like brutal moments, it's not always exciting, right? For uh, a lot of like horror fans, it plays sometimes more like a thriller might, you know? Uh, but then when things hit the fan, it's so fucking crazy. Like every freak out is just crazy, you know? And I love that. And then you combine that with the fact that almost like a, in a Keystone cops way, the Zalman King character just keeps implicating himself at every single attack until yep. it seems like he's on a one man killing spree across the city. Perfect. Perfect. It's, it makes, it doesn't really work narratively, but by the time it really starts to feel like it's excessive, you don't care. Right. Cause the movie's already asked you to go along with so much crazy shit that like, it doesn't matter. It's just, you're just like, okay, yeah, this is his fault too. Everything's his fault. Let's just keep going. You know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I. Uh, it, this movie very much could have been like somewhat uh, scatterbrained in tone and, right, and, yeah. and, and incoherent and, and unfocused, but somehow it all just fucking works despite having this like insane premise and, you know, you know, weird mishmash of, um, you know, movies. I just think this movie really works, and uh, I, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm still on the fence about how I feel about the the kind of messaging that it's putting across. But like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's successful, and I, I I think it succeeds in what it sets out to do. Um, and overall, it was just a lot of fucking fun to watch. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think, um, I think, uh, you know. I do wonder if 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 uh, a certain kind of straight edge guy might watch this movie and be like, yeah, it's what drugs are bad. But I think most people would watch this and think like this is kind of silly. But the idea of people kind of losing their minds and going crazy and you know sort of becoming violent like this, I don't know. Something about that still kind of works for me. I I think the execution is. Um, is a bit caricatured but that's that's fine it's it yeah also if you think this movie if if you think this movie's use of like depiction of hallucinogens is is crazy this movie was not 10 years out from the Tate LaBianca murders people right. were still fucking rattled by the idea of hallucinogens right you know in hindsight you know it's it, it's silly but this is a pretty decent snapshot of like the social climate at the time when it comes to when it comes to how people yeah viewed uh view drugs yeah i mean again i it, i went in a little sensitive to it i think only because i do really think like we should be talking about uh not for like necessarily general use but we should be talking about medical use for lsd at this point because it, it does seem to be pretty effective for a number of you know really tough mental health things that people are dealing with right so i you know I think I went in a little whatever, but by the time the movie was over, I kind of thought I'm not convinced anyone in this is taking this seriously per se. Like I think yeah. there's a certain spirit to it. So, but, but I do think like that doesn't mean people couldn't take it seriously who aren't very smart, but, uh, but I, I wasn't really worried about that. And if, if the same thing, I mean, this isn't that different, right? We already brought up MK ultra, but uh, this isn't that different than that Australian movie we watched that had the mind control. What was, was that Australian? I think it was Australian, right? Yeah. Um, I forget what it was called. 
uh, I think it was called Dead Kids in Australia, but the version we watched had a different name. Yeah, God, don't tell me it was. I I, I want to say something is killing the children, but that's no. the, that's a comic I've um, strange strange behaviors. Yeah, strange behaviors, and then he starts strange behaviors on Shutter, and it or on it was on Criterion actually, and yep. he started, and it just says dead kids or something or dead yeah children. yeah and i was like wait what the fuck <laughs> uh, but yeah it, it, it kind of reminds me of that in the sense that like it could be anything setting these people off i think the, the acid thing i think uh, one of the anxieties going on i meant to say and i didn't really get to is not really about the literal acid is going to turn you into killer right it's the idea that by 1978 there were a bunch of people who were trying to move on like i, I think one of the things we don't always talk about is how as younger people who didn't live through it, we sometimes conflate the sixties and the seventies together. Right. Yep. But I think a lot of the seventies is about trying to be as different from the sixties as possible. I think that's it in some of the choices on color palette and fashion. We're like, Oh, you know, everything in the sixties and seventies is brown and orange. Well, that's not really true. Actually. Like a lot of the sixties was more colorful than that, or, you know, had, had a different vibe than that. And then I think with this is by 1978, there's a bunch of people who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I did some shit in college or whatever, but I'm going to be a Congressman now. Right. Like, I think that's part of what this is. This character kind of represents some of the anxiety. I think a lot of people were feeling moving into the eighties, which is like, I want to be done with all that. I want to be done with the protesting, with the anger over the war with the drugs and the free sex. I mean, by 78, you're getting that huge, like Jesus movement going on yep. and evangelicalism's getting even bigger. I mean, and- they're, they're 78 by 78 fucking idiots. Like Jerry Falwell had already had Jimmy Carter in the crosshairs and right. they were already rallying the troops to get him out of there. And we were two years out from the fucking antichrist going into the white house. So it's like, so in the, in the sense that like, Whatever you did in 1968 might come back to haunt you 10 years later when you're trying to move on, right? In a sense, it makes this a pre-80s movie. Like, even even as much as it is a 70s movie, it kind of foreshadows some of the cultural ideas of the 80s, which is like, put all that shit behind you, cut your hair, get a job on Wall Street, it's time to vote for Reagan, yep. and like conquer and, and, and beat the commies, you know, or whatever, you know? and like fuck right like it's kind of crazy that aspect of it but i i do think that's part of what's going on here and and in fact i bet you that part of it that feeling of am i gonna have to answer for some bad decisions i made a decade ago probably gave people more anxiety watching this than anything having to do with literal acid right oh yeah so anyways i think this movie's great i think it's fun i think uh it could have gone even crazier directions and i would have gone with it if there had been a cult I would have been okay with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it, if it had been not just blue sunshine, but like any acid ever did this to you, I, that, that would have been okay. Cause I think the movie is kind of silly in its own way. Uh, but man, there's some real, real intense moments that kind of will stick with me for a little bit. I think. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about um, a movie that is similar, but I would say much darker. Yeah. And a little bit more nuanced than 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 Blue Sunshine. And as we are going to expound upon, far more fucking tragic. Yeah. Um, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back. We're gonna talk about uh 2012's Toad Road. 
We'll be right back. He seriously wants to get knocked out. I'm not fucking kidding. As hard as you can. Are you recording? Right here. All right, this is James getting knocked out. My life is falling apart around me. I'm losing everything. I wake up every day and I feel like shit. It just doesn't seem worth it anymore. Why me? Toad Road. It's like the local high school urban legend. I just kind of wanted to drop some acid and just see what happened. <laughs> and we are back to talk about 2012's American independent horror thriller, Toad Road, written and directed by Jason Banker. Um, Liam, you had written a review for this movie when you, you saw it at a Fantastic Fest, didn't you? Or Fantasia Fest? No, actually, I was given, or not given, but I was sent the DVD to review. Okay. Yeah, I got it. So people may or may not, well, well this will be good because we never talk about release stuff. But this is a recent enough movie we should talk about the release. This had a very limited release to festivals. And then it, it, the DVD was put out by Art Exploitation Films, which is a small company out of Philly that, kind of folded pretty quickly, but they put out a few things when they first started. Uh, and that was started by the way, by, uh, Ooh, I forget his name now, but it's the gentleman who started the TLA back when, uh, the TLA was a movie theater and a concert venue. And then okay. when, when he shifted the company over to video stores for people who grew up in Philly, there was a, uh, the big art video store was the TLA video. He owned that. And then later, he owned a bunch of releasing companies and this is one of his companies, art exploitation films. And uh, they released vanishing waves. If anyone ever saw vanishing waves, uh, I love that movie. They did another one. I think it's really good. I think it's called animals. Uh, that's that I really like. Uh, and then they did this movie uh, as well. They did stuff after this, but that's really the ones that kind of struck me. Uh, and so I reviewed the DVD and uh, was really surprised. I didn't know what to make of this movie for a bit after seeing it. Yeah, this okay. So this is like kind of a local film. Yeah, it was broadly speaking. It was shot in uh, York, right, or just yeah, outside York. of York. Now, let me say that like I went to college with a handful of people who were from York. Um, I knew about the Legend of the Seven Gates because spring break of my sophomore year of college, my one housemate lived in York, and. We spent spring break. I went to school in Kutztown, which is a little college about 20 minutes outside Reading, Pennsylvania in like central PA. Um, we went to his mom and dad's house in, in down in York and he had known I was in the horror films and he had told me this story about the seven gates of hell. So this was a story that I was familiar with. And. There is something about York. And I think it's like Stewartsville is the town there. There's something about that area that is like, um, so it, it's like, it's like almost Romero country, you know, like the outskirts yeah. of Pittsburgh. Like it's, 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 it's still a good like two, three or two or three hours out from Pittsburgh. The irony being that a lot of my roommate, the guy who lived there was my housemate, Craig, a lot of his friends back home ended up going to school in Pittsburgh and we went out there one weekend to see them and 
while I myself did no drugs and why friend of the podcast, Brad Hogarth did no drugs over the course of three days, we probably collectively got an hour worth of sleep from hanging out with these people because it was just insanity in a good right. way. It was fun. Yeah. Um, but no, th this movie just reminds me like so much of the early alts of just, you know, being the only sober person at like, there's a place around here. We call it, we called it the cement factory when we were kids, that was the place to go to drink. And like, I cannot tell you how many times I ended up out there as the only person who was sober while people were just getting like, just fucked up. And like, there's like a whole, like I, I, all these fucking memories will come flooding back of like, just it being like three in the morning. And like, there had been like three or four fights. There was just like, you know, even like the look of these kids reminded me like the swoopy hair, the tight jeans, the Western style shirts, like so much of this, like hit home for me that it's like, I remember this, like, you know, and weirdly enough, a few of those kids are fucking dead now um, because they're just doing stupid shit like this. And it just like, it just brought all that back to the surface of just that, like that, like nihilistic, like, fucking man who wants to live forever like ah let's fucking do acid and you know play edward 40 hands which is a fucking game i've seen people play like um this movie has it all it just really has this i suspect it tries to be like sort of like enlightening like how the main uh the main actor she's like i want to do drugs to like you know to 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 know the universe better but like most of this movie is so just grimly nihilistic and fucking um, cynical and like hedonistic that it just like there's no real like attempt at any sort of like higher enlightenment going on here. Yeah. Well, so we should probably uh, get a little more in, into the sort of specific narrative, although, you know, it's worth pointing out that a lot of this movie is documentary slash reality TV style. You know, a lot of this movie is the director showing up at actual parties where people getting actually fucked up and him just filming them being assholes and then him yeah. using a few scripted scenes and then a few like very nightmare, almost like music video sequences to create a narrative, which is, it's going to be a little light for people. It is, this definitely walks a light. It's not a non-narrative film. There's a story, and that story has like a arc to it. But if someone said it's a, 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 a movie focused on a narrative, it doesn't feel that way at all. It feels, it feels like a, a real mixture of um, character work, documentary filming, and just nightmare shit. So... Basically, yeah, there's this there's this legend of the seven gates uh, in York where you go to this place at night, you go through the seven gates and then you're, you know, in in whatever version of hell that you you know want to want to think is there. Uh, and we're given two characters. Um, one is a dude who's a little bit older, who's been partying for a while. And he's got this group of, you know, they feel like metalcore ne'er-do-wells from another time. Like this movie came out in 2012. So I assume it started filming maybe like 2011, 2010, something like that. Uh, these folks look like they have missed the boat on what was even cool then, let alone now. Like they just look from an, they, it just, it's, it's strange. Right. And yeah, all they it do was is, like, 
early alts trust kill records. Right. That's what is they, the best way I can describe it. It's what they look like, but maybe that's just because they live in the boonies. Like they're very much in rural PA. Uh, and this girl who starts to hang out with this group, she goes to York. There's a college in York. I don't know if it's, it's York college, right? It's the name of the college. So she goes, I I, yeah, she goes to York college. She's from Baltimore. So she's like a city girl, I guess. Uh, but she meets these folks and they start hanging out and maybe that's, they've met through shows or something. I don't know. Uh, but she is relatively, yeah, you know, they met, they met through the, um, they, <laughs> they met at a, um, uh, a, a red roses for a blue lady show. I mean, this is 2010. So they probably met in an attack attack show if we're being, there we go. There we go. Time yeah. period, right. So, uh, she yeah. starts hanging out with them and while she has done some drinking and stuff, she has not done much drugs. And these folks do a lot of, uh, LSD magic mushrooms, you know, there, there's a lot of. Um, uh, uh, variety of drug use going on and the weird spraying your drugs, spraying your, your eye drugs, which yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. like, fuck that. So she is curious about all of this and he is kind of going in the other direction. He is constantly partying, but when he's not partying, he's starting to question if he should be partying at all, that maybe his life has stalled out. He doesn't, feel like he trusts his friends anymore and so they're coming together but they're moving in different directions she's going into this world and he's trying to come out of this world and at a certain point um their relationship is complicated because of uh her being with other people and um him just kind of being unhappy in general and then one day she gets him to go with her to where the seven gates supposedly are, which of course there's nothing there. It's just a urban legend. But then she um, basically has him trip unknowingly. She puts some uh, acid in her mouth and then makes out with him. And then they, you know, they go off and he wakes up in the woods alone, connects with his friend and finds out that he's been missing for months and she's gone. And then yeah. the denouement is basically him trying to get his life together unsuccessfully, uh, being self-destructive, hating himself, really not knowing like, like it, his conscious mind believes he didn't do anything to this girl. His unconscious mind still thinks he's responsible for her disappearance and possible death. And then that's sort of where it goes. And, you know, I uh, there's not really anything to spoil, really. There is a sort of ending to the movie, but the ending for me, and I don't know how you, if you felt this way, it just felt like we got to do something to end the movie. It's not going to be something happy. So let's just end it on like a really sad note. And then the movie's over. Right. And uh, yeah, like I kind of. I, I kind of got the feeling that it was like you said his conscious mind was like, I know I didn't. I'm not responsible for her disappearance. But I feel it was also like his his unconscious mind was like something happened there. Right. And I hope that I was responsible because if I'm not, then like who the fuck knows what happened. Right. There's, there is a, it's not just what's also going on is she suspects there's something to be discovered both beyond the veil. Let's say that there's something more uh, in exploring the mind and the spirit. And then also in drugs that she wants drugs to be her way in. And he's tired of any of that. He's he's uninterested in it. He's 
In fact, you could even say maybe he's getting more practical, right? Like he just wants to like think about his future. And uh and so like whatever happened in those woods, I mean, maybe he just left her or maybe he did something. But like the idea that maybe there's something awful in the woods, you know? Uh but I will say the movie, I don't want to mislead people if you haven't seen it. The movie doesn't spend a lot of time exploring that too hard. Unfortunately. It, unfortunately it doesn't. Yeah, you 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 would you would have liked a little more beyond just their relationship, right? Like we haven't really talked about yet. What did you even think about this movie in general? Like how, how did this work for you? Cuz it's a weird movie for in its format and it's it's it, it kind of asks a lot of the the audience. I, I really like this movie. I actually watched it twice. Okay. Um just once to get through and then once to go back and um my only real complaint about it is like it is marketed as like, you know, oh, this guy meets this girl and then she he they go on this this path, this hike in the woods, and then he wakes up six months later and has to find out what happened. That is the last 10 minutes of the movie. Right. I really feel like this this film could have benefited from maybe being just a touch longer and exploring maybe having that happen sooner in the film. And having the scenes of them partying and all that through flashback and showing him trying to put the pieces back together. Um, because, of course, the fucking cops are like, we know you killed her. Just fucking confess. Like, what the fuck happened out there? Um, I think it's and worth... unfortunately. I f- Go ahead. I, I just I, I, I yeah, I was going to say, I think that that part felt rushed. Well, I think it's worth noting that this movie came from. This guy was doing a documentary, uh, I forget what it was called, All Tomorrow's Parties, maybe, or something like that. It was that. I, the only reason I know that is because uh, that's like my favorite Velvet Underground song. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. so, but, you know, he was doing a documentary about young people partying and drug use, right? Like, that's, yeah. he was, and, and so he felt like, though, his documentary, it, you know, he, he felt like the documentary he was working on, that there wasn't much of a direction to it, or there wasn't much of a, of a point. And so this fiction thing was a way for him to push some of the ideas he was feeling, which is like that there's a nihilism here and, or there's something there's something to be explored here that's more negative. And it's not just about the use of these substances. It's about the ways that these kids are deeply broken and unhappy. And yes, their drug use is just a way for them to deal with that. But it's not the thing itself is not the thing. Right. And so uh, and so I think that's in essence what the movie is about. And really, it feels like he just took the method of he was already using with his documentary and then really only inserts maybe three or four scenes of like actual acting in the movie. Right. Most of the movie is just people actually partying. And there are moments of dramatic tension. Those are real, like at least according to the director, a bunch of the dramatic stuff in the movie it's just people actually fighting at parties or at hanging out at a rock i mean some of these parties are just people took acid on a rock in the woods or some shit i mean i keep thinking about the scene in the cave where like the guys like it like i didn't realize that was an actual almost fucking fist fight yeah yeah so so like i think that's part of the deal here is that um i think it is a if you know how the movie was made and you know sort of what the vibe of it is. I don't think you can ignore that the, that this is a bit of a triumph that he's able to get a movie at all 
out of like what is a mishmash of footage. I mean, there's a lot of, he shot a lot of footage, but like footage of 20 somethings getting fucked up is like not a fucking movie. Right. But he like brings a movie forth that might feel a little too mumblecore or whatever for people, but there is a fucking movie here and the movie has like an emotional core. It has a point. It's kind of haunting at times. However, on this watch, I was struck by the same thing as you, uh, Justin, which is like, uh, the real interesting part of this is not her downfall, right? It It is partly their love story. I'm glad that they focused on that and that we saw their affection for each other, which is pretty well done for two people who aren't super experienced actors, right? Yeah. Uh, the most interesting part is the aftermath. And the aftermath in this movie is just, it. it's treated like just the end of his, you know what I mean? It's just sort of the sad ending. It's just sort of the, Again, it's treated like a more of a denouement, you know, like more of like a last thought than it is about what the movie's about. And I just think that's more interesting. Like, I think a better movie would have been, like you said, a movie focused sort of narratively and dramatically on him trying to figure out what the fuck happened. That yes. only then briefly incorporates some of the partying footage, but that's not what the guy had. And I feel like this does to some extent feel like a movie where he just had to cobble together what he had and he didn't have the fucking luxury of like reshoots and shit that that wasn't going to happen. And, and really in the movie, I almost wonder if the idea to jump forward six months was an idea that came out of having to film people later on and them having different haircuts and shit. Oh yeah. Um, that's, that's how it feels watching. I, I, I mean, when I say this movie's rush, I, I'm not looking for an explanation of what happened to her. I'm I am wholly uninterested in in in, in what happened to her. No, like, it's about what's happening to him. Right? It, exactly. Yeah. It, it it it's like it, it's not not to sideline her as a character, and we'll talk in a second as to why that is. You know, sad. Um. I have always been fascinated by stories about normal people who have had a brush with something they cannot explain. That is why I love H.P. Lovecraft stories. That's why I love F. Paul Wilson stories. I love the idea of a person, your normal fucking working Joe, just all of a sudden being confronted with the inexplicable and the infinite and being like, well, how, where do I go from here? Like, how, how do I live as a person after seeing this? And I think this film has a touch of it. And I kind of wish almost that it had been in reverse, that he was just a normal guy who was maybe dabbling in acid, saw this and then fell into this kind of like hedonistic, self-destructive um, lifestyle as a result of his inability to cope with what had happened. Because, I mean... There is, they, they do show that he does begin to go down a very dark path. Like there's a scene where he's at a boardwalk and he's just letting people punch him in the face. You know, like they, they talk about how it's like um, he, he, he is he is doing this. Obviously, out of self-hatred for what happened with uh, with Sarah. Um, but I, 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 I wish they would have dug deeper into that. Um, and I also want to say that unlike Blue Sunshine, I don't think the drugs were like the worst part, like the root cause of, of, of the, the way these kids lived. 
Um, I think this movie wasn't about kids doing drugs. I think this was a movie about kids trying to deal with this, like, just crushing alienation and isolation and boredom and just sense of just utter hopelessness in this part of Pennsylvania that is, like, um, it's not, like, run down but romantic like, you know, Bethlehem was and Allentown was back in the 70s and 80s or, like, Pittsburgh was. It's like that today. It fucking sucks out there. There is fucking nothing out by York. I mean, it's close enough to Harrisburg and Baltimore where, sure, if you really want to get some culture, you can go to those cities. But you're fucked if you live out there. And I kind of think that th that's what this movie was about, which is about these kids who are dealing with this, like, crushing sense of ennui. And uh, their only escape was getting, like, fucked up every night. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think there's also a, a sense in which I think it was actually, um, though it doesn't play hugely into the film, I think there's something suggested to of the meetings with his therapist. Yeah. That, like, the parents are like, look, we paid for a guy to talk to you, so then you should be okay, right? Which is like, that's not parenting, right? Like, no, that's, no. And it's a bit too late at this point, right? He's, like, clearly a bit older, you know? So I just think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I will say, for folks who are looking for something a little bit more intuitive and artsy and are certainly looking for a movie that I think falls into some really beautiful camera work by mistake almost, right? Like, a mm -hmm. lot of this movie is shot like, your your asshole friend brought a camcorder to the party, right? Like it's not shot a lot of the time, like like the images matter. And then suddenly it, they do, right? Suddenly yep. you're looking at something beautiful and it almost feels out of place. I love that. That's like one of the charms of the movie. Uh, but I will say it's, it's not that horrific. It is almost more like a nightmare relationship movie than it is like a horror movie which is maybe on us for picking it, but I think technically it is a horror movie. This right? absolutely is a horror movie. It's horrific. Like, it's not like, boo, jump out scary. It's like, this entire film, you can feel these people being drawn to something that you know isn't going to end well. And once they walk into the woods, and once, you know, she doses them both with acid, you don't really see much, but what you do see is enough to be unsettling. And there is some mildly unsettling shit in this movie. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, I, I think if you're looking more towards, if you're looking for like a traditional horror film where you see traditionally scary stuff, this movie is not going to be for you. But again, there is a feeling from the moment that these two meet and they start talking that yeah. there is this, because the, the beginning of the film opens up with him wandering around in the woods. So we right. know some bad shit happened. Right. And once he meets her, it's like you can almost feel there's this fatalistic, like, uh, engine that's just pulling them towards something that is just horrific. And I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought that was it was a it was very effective at kind of like channeling these two people who were lost towards this 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 terrible ending. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, um, and I think there's something, I don't know about you, but for me, um, 
a movie in which there are people going through something terrible in the real world. And then right next to that is a, the possibility of something like supernatural, something beneath yes. the surface that those kind of mirror each other. There's something about that that I really appreciate. And I think that's kind of present in this movie, though it's never quite clear what happened in the woods. Um, I guess at this point we should mention that the uh, female star of this movie tragically passed away right after the movie came out uh, of an overdose. And I think that that is hard in, you know, in a movie that is in theory kind of about that, you know, uh, to have that be part of the story. But Sarah Ann Jones was her name. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of tragic that that's part of the narrative. And I don't think we can let it define the movie. Like the movie is what the movie is, but it's certainly to me, it's help, there. Help me understand that this movie is trying to represent something real. And I think, I think it's doing that in a way that isn't meant to be a condemnation of the fact that people get drunk or get high. Like that's not really what it's about. Really. No, no, no. That's it, part it, of it. It, it it does, <laughs> it it speaks as Doctor Manhattan spoke at the end of The Watchmen, without condoning or condemning. I understand. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I you know, it's not for everyone, but I I think I still love this movie. Though I do agree with you, I think it would be more effective if it were different. But there's probably a lot of movies that I like that I would still say you could do this or you could do that. You know, it is what it is. Uh, I just think that the, 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 the story for me might unfold better if we were watching their story unfold as part of a furthering unfolding of him trying to figure out what to do afterward, you know, but maybe we're wrong. Maybe that would have, would have been the wrong thing to do, or at least it would have made it a different movie altogether. Yeah, I agree. So that's Toad Road. And that's the episode. As always, thank you for listening. Um, be sure to head to Cinepunks.com for more episodes of this podcast and a bunch of other good podcasts. There was just a new episode of Cinepunks that came out, a new episode of Tomb of Ideas, a new list of Shameless Picture Show. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Twitch of the Death Earth, you know, you know what I'm talking about. If you are interested in becoming a patron, you can head to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. And be sure to check out our various sponsors, such as www.xlvacx.com for Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com for Essex Coffee Roasters, and Mechanical Shark Media for Mechanical Shark Media, directed by Paulberto Sharkberto, which is his real name. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and until next time, uh please enjoy drugs drugs responsibly if you're going to. Yeah, don't um don't go to a gate of hell and then yeah. uh, stay away from gates of hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a good idea. Cool. Hey, yeah, just for listening. Yeah. And uh have a good night. Night.
Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!